Hello everybody. Today my friend Tyler and I are going to talk about hell. Tyler is a good friend of mine uh, that I met through my old church. He was a mentor of mine throughout middle school, high school, and into my college years. And uh, he's very knowledgeable about Protestant Christian teaching. He has a couple Christian ministry undergrad degrees and a seminary degree. And most importantly, he's a really good friend of mine. Tyler and I don't agree a ton theologically nowadays, but we still love each other dearly. And I really hope that that is communicated well throughout this podcast. So I start out asking him what views there are within Christianity on hell. And then I ask him what view he believes in. And then I ask him, how can he reconcile that idea of hell with a loving God? So I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Tyler, to the Project Matter podcast. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me. So first question is, uh, what different views of hell are there within Christianity? Yeah, so uh, I I got four here, and the first isn't hell per se, but it relates to the conversation. That's purgatory. Um, And the best way to understand, actually, you know, I'll just go through the titles of each and then I'll describe them each. So there's purgatory, uh, universalism, uh, annihilationism, and uh, what's called the traditional view or eternal conscious torment. So we'll start with purgatory. Uh, the best way to think about purgatory is like purge factory. Think about it kind of mm-hmm. like a, a shower after you die for all the sins that you didn't get forgiven before you died. Yeah. And that actually, that's a pretty much exclusively a doctrine within the Roman Catholic Church. There's some like real fringe Protestant people who hold it, but mm-hmm. that's not normal. Um, and the thinking with purgatory is it's only for those who are Christians, um, but they've still got uh, junk to work out before they actually get to heaven. Mm-hmm. So non-Christians for purgatory still just go to hell. Um, but purgatory is like a kind of a refining process for Christians before they get into heaven. So that's okay. the first view that kind of attaches to some of the others. So. So there still is a hell within Catholicism. Um, it's not like a universalism where everybody eventually goes to heaven, um, but they undergo purgatory. Correct. Yeah. So, and I mean, Catholicism is so huge that you're yeah. going to have varying degrees within it. But by and large, yeah, there still is a hell within Catholicism that if you don't subscribe to their belief in Christ, their doctrines about Jesus and mm-hmm. salvation and things like that, um, then you do go to hell. Purgatory mm-hmm. is for those who do believe, but yeah, like I said, you still have some sins that you got to get taken care of before you get into heaven. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's purgatory. Uh, the second one is universalism, um, or it can sometimes be called ultimate reconciliation, which is mm-hmm. pretty much exactly what it sounds like. At one point in the future, everybody, and some people would even say Satan um, included, 
will end up in heaven. So God will at one point woo every person to himself. And so in that view, hell is either non-existent, like people who aren't in heaven just aren't in heaven yet. Mm. And so they might be kind of like wandering around, not necessarily being punished, but just kind of like, like I don't know, spiritually bored after they die, I guess. Mm. Um, or within universalism, there still may be an idea of hell, but it's it's redemptive in the sense that it, it like changes you so that you want heaven. Mm. Um, and so in that way, it kind of looks, works like purgatory, but for everybody. Yeah. Um, and so in universalism, mm. the idea is that there are those who are going to heaven and know it. And then there are those who are going to heaven and don't know it mm -hmm. yet. Mm. So uh, that's, and a pretty, like if someone wants a resource to like look into that, uh, I mean, I guess it's sort of recent. It came out when I was in college. So close to 10-ish years ago, mm -hmm. um, a book by Rob Bell called Love Wins. He's a universalist and that he like lays out a case for it there. And that was like a really big deal when yeah. I was in school. Hmm. Um, okay, so that's second. Third is um, annihilationism. And there's two other terms that you might hear thrown around. Annihilation is like the most popular. Uh, but the other two titles are conditional immortality or uh, terminal punishment. So the idea here is that hell exists, but only as a temporary state of being. Hmm. And so there is suffering after death for those who don't believe in Jesus, uh, but it doesn't last forever. Either hmm. they just die and cease to exist right away, but most annihilationists would hold that there's some degree or some length of suffering that is kind of corresponds to the sins you've done in this life. Yeah. And so you would like suffer for, I mean, let's say 10 years, 20 years, hundred years, depending on how things on went did, here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you, you either die and cease to exist, like die eternally and you cease to exist and you're unaware of it. Or, you continue to exist, but you're no longer conscious of the suffering and the torment that you're undergoing. Oh, um, huh. So the reason it's called, uh, one of the terms is called conditional immortality is the idea is that uh, not, in this view, not everybody is immortal. Only those who believe in Christ are granted immortality. Those mm -hmm. who don't believe in him um, may last for a little while, but then they're ultimately they're mortal in the sense that they they no longer live yeah huh. so uh so that's the third view uh and then the fourth is called their traditional view or um you'll this is probably the more common term eternal conscious torment which is pretty self-descriptive just as fun as it sounds it is eternal it is conscious and it's torment um the idea is that for those who do not call on christ uh, for the forgiveness of their sins, there's going to be suffering that's never ending and that there's no rest or escape from it. And mm -hmm. what that suffering looks like varies depending on the person's view. Like the images of like fire and caves and like gnashing of teeth, that's all um, biblical words and imagery. And there's variations within this view of how literally to take those hmm. Um whether or not there's like actually a lake of fire because the Bible talks about a lake of fire yeah. or if that's just symbolic for 
um, excruciating, like suffering after death. Yeah. I, one of my, um, friends, Teddy, well, actually my brother-in-law, not just my friend. Um, he, he talked about how, um, I mean, just because you're talking about just different interpretations of what the eternal hell can be like, uh, he talked about how God or God will, you know, everybody will meet God at the end of time and he'll, he'll come to you with open arms, um, to everybody. Um, those who believe in him, those who don't, da, 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 da. but, um, to some that the love of God is hell to them hmm. and to others, it's heaven to them. So it's not that God is like, like saying, Hey, you, you go sending people to hell. Yeah. Um, but he's actually, it's just people's different experience yeah. of it, yeah, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. I haven't heard that before. So that's, that's the first time I've encountered that. Yeah. So, well, Eastern Orthodox Christianity and Protestant Christianity seem to be pretty different. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have honestly not done enough digging into Eastern Orthodox stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just listed four major views of what hell is. Um, I'm curious to know what your personal um, view on hell is and why you believe that that is the correct view. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll begin by just sharing like a little bit about my my personal theological journey on this issue. Uh, I I didn't wasn't raised as a Christian, so when I became one, you know, I honestly didn't really think about it that much. I think my default was the traditional view because I watched the Simpsons growing up and like, that's what it looks like <laughs> on the Simpsons. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, so honestly, I really didn't even think about it that much. Um, and I think by default, I assumed eternal, eternal conscious torment. I probably wouldn't have called it that. I just mm-hmm. assumed that's what it was and didn't even really know that there were other ideas out there. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what I, kind of adopted for quite a while and uh and then as as i became exposed to other views you know kind of thought through it a little bit but stayed with the eternal conscious torment um you know i never really strayed far from it i just kind of heard other views and thought oh that's interesting but i don't i don't see how that can work biblically and then not too long ago like um was I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but heard another case for annihilationism. Um, and that's where I first came across the term conditional immortality. Uh, and uh, they explained things in a, in a way that answered a lot of questions. And I was like, huh. And, and so that really got me thinking. And so for a while there, I was waffling uh, between eternal conscious torment and annihilationism. The, mm-hmm. the universalism thing and the purgatory thing, uh, have never, I've never subscribed to those mm-hmm. or really... Um, consider them like to hold water biblically speaking yeah um but anyway i went between back and forth between those two um and the reason why is because uh an annihilationism uh talks about how the 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 uh thing that made me start to think about wow maybe there is something to this is that the the shame or the suffering is eternal. So the state of like 
dishonor and suffering is eternal, but the experience may not necessarily be. And so there's a way of understanding some of the verses that like would still uh, work. Hmm. Um, so I was waffling on that for a little bit. And where I landed uh, was back where I started on eternal conscious torment. Um, and the reason, uh, and I know, I think probably most other people who hold the other views would say the same thing, but I believe that's what the scriptures teach. Yeah. Um, the Bible to me is uh, the ultimate source of truth. And so not the only, but the ultimate. And um, I remember I was waffling between this and uh, something Jesus said, I wrote it down here so that I didn't um, screw it up, it is in John 5, uh, he's making a statement about what's going to happen in the afterlife. And uh, here, I'll just read what he said. He says, A time is coming uh, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Uh, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Uh, and it was those words, just uh, those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And I just thought, I don't know if it was like my own brain or the Holy Spirit or what, but it was like, I mean, I just take those words at face value. Mm -hmm. um, the reason annihilation was pulling at me wasn't necessarily because I think that's what the scriptures actually teach. It's almost like that's, uh, it was a, a way for me to sort of get out of an uncomfortable yeah. position. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like I was just kind of confronted by the scriptures of, I, I mean, I'd read that verse. I'd read other verses um, yeah. plenty of times, but I, it just became clear to me. It's like, yeah, it's, it's not that I don't think it's true. It's just that I'm, that I have an issue with it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was it. And then um, a few other verses that it kind of piled on that it was that same like Bible reading session. Um, uh, was Daniel 12 two? This is a fairly famous one in conversations about hell and the end of the world. Um, and in Daniel 12, this is like a prophecy about the end of the world. And he says, um, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth. And so that's a metaphor for death, sleeping in the dust of the earth, um, will awake some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Um, and again, it was like, well, if I'm going to take everlasting life seriously in the first part of that verse, uh, I have to take the second half of that verse pretty seriously too, everlasting shame and contempt. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one more. Uh, this is, again, Jesus. This is in Matthew 25, and he's. this is called the sheep and goat judgment. It's, a, again, a kind of a common text yeah. when thinking about hell and judgment and things like that. Uh, and there's like these two groups of people that Jesus is kind of dividing one that will go to heaven and one that's going to go to hell. Uh, and this is just the closing verse. It's a whole long chapter. If anyone wants to look it up, it's Matthew 25. But he closes with, uh, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Hmm. Uh, and there's other verses too. There's a really intense one in Revelation 14. Um, but... The point is, the reason I landed there is I, I was, as I was kind of waffling and thinking through this and praying about it and, and yeah, just thinking, uh, uh, it seemed to me that the scriptures just laid out hell as eternal conscious torment. Yeah. And so that's where I landed. Um, there's a, 
famous or, I mean, depending on the circle and maybe an infamous quote um, by a guy named David Cooper in the 19th century. He said, when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll say it one more time. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Uh, and so the point is, if I'm a Christian and I believe the Bible is what it says is true, mm -hmm. um, then I have to take these verses seriously, and I can't, I can't twist them to say something that they're not saying, um, or I can't just kind of conveniently forget them. Yeah. Um, without if if I do that, then I have to change all kinds of other things about what I believe about the Bible and about all other kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm fairly certain on those other things. Mm -hmm. Um, so. Anyway, um, that's how I landed there. That's what I believe. Yeah. Well, that certainly makes sense to me. I mean, um, like with the whole backing up to the annihilationism, um, it seemed when you're talking about like um, hell is eternal, but your experience of it isn't, it seems like to hold that belief um, you'd almost have to tell yourself that the Bible is like trying to deceive you because the Bible doesn't really talk about that. I mean, it, it, if you were to read it plainly, like you're saying, yeah. uh, and take it for what it seems to be saying, you really would have to jump through some hoops to kind of get there. But, and so that's that. And, um, yeah, I felt, and, yeah. Uh, sorry, I felt like it was, if I were to hold that, at least for me, I feel feel like I'd kind of be talking out of both sides of my mouth in terms of what I believe about the scriptures and what they say and how they work, except for in this one area. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, um, yeah, especially if you like take the Bible to be like the ultimate authority. And if that means that you take, you know, everything that it says, like to be void of error, you know? Um, yeah. And it, totally makes sense to me yeah. um why people like kind of end up in that in that camp um yeah do you think that that it ha or like conscious torment was the like historical view like what most christians thought of hell do, do you know anything about that like yeah i mean it's it's always been the mainstream view mm -hmm. of kind of like traditional Christianity. Um, but there's always been um, outliers or like variations. So <clears throat> I, when I was talking about universalism, I mentioned that like some people even say Satan. Um, well, the guy who first came up with that was a guy named Origen, O-R-I-G-E-N. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was like, I mean, I want to say around 300 AD. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong, but it was early. Yeah, um, that's, that is pretty early. Judging, I mean, because Christ was what 66 or or I don't know 60 something <laughs> when he died or, uh, or he, 66 he, AD or something. Yeah, it was. He was probably born around four three four BC. Died around 30 ish AD. Okay, 30 ish. AD, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, relatively soon after that there's already people and even before that um there's people denying that there's any sort of afterlife at all or that there's 
no judgment. I mean, even the the Bible itself, you have groups of people like the Sadducees that said they believe there's no resurrection. Like, I mean, you don't call that annihilationism, but it's just like there there is not really an uh, a physical afterlife, a physical uprising. They might have believed in something else, but all that to say to answer your question of whether or not like eternal conscious torment's been like that's all there ever was in history. It's been the main thing, but it's not all there ever was. Um, and there's actually a whole group um, committed to annihilationism and conditional immortality and, and trying to kind of like revive that or like spread its message. Yeah. Um, and they have a whole section on early church fathers who, who they, I haven't read what they've written, but they're saying that those early church fathers believed in conditional immortality. Hmm. Um, and that, so. and that, kind of um it would it would make sense for um people like the eastern orthodox church or something to really give weight to that because they give more of an emphasis on what the church fathers thought rather than necessarily holding the bible as like this ultimate pedestal um they still see yeah. it as like a very valid way yeah the of sources of, about yeah, god and stuff, yeah the but, difference in the sources of authority yeah, yeah but in your view the bible is the ultimate authority um it's without error yeah um and that's just how you that's how you read it so it's like that's what it is yeah 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 and that's not to say that church tradition um is not valuable and and doesn't help us understand what the scriptures say but it's always in subordination mm -hmm. to them with that view of of hell being eternal punishment and then there's also this view that you hold in Christianity at large holds of this loving God. Yeah. Um, not just a loving God, but like the most loving, you know, being there is. Um, they attribute that to God. How, how can one reconcile the idea of eternal punishment with a loving God? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a huge question. <laughs> so, I mean, you asked me to come on this podcast. I came with three pages of notes on this on the topic of hell, and two of the three are on on this question. <laughs> yeah. I so, see, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if, if you'll need to do editing or what. And there's not a logical sequence. These are just several different aspects to things I've thought about in in my own you know personal like spiritual journey and um, things I've read and stuff. Uh, the first is like. Yeah, I just want to affirm the scriptures, well, like we talked about before, I, I believe they teach an eternal conscious torment. But yeah, they also affirm that we have this loving God uh, who desires that all would be saved and that like he doesn't, Ezekiel 33, 11 is like one of my favorite verses. It says, this is God speaking, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, mm. but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Um, and so the question is, well, if that's true, how can eternal punishment also be true? Yeah. Um, and I've got a quote I'll mention later, but the concept of the quote, is, uh, or at least one of them is this. Um, if hell is real, as I believe the Bible teaches that it is, and God is loving, as I also believe that the Bible teaches that he is, um, 
Is it necessary then that that God would prevent anyone from ever going there? Or uh, what would it mean for that loving God? How would his goodness and his love look in relation to his people? Um, And I'm actually not convinced that it would mean him preventing anyone from ever going there. I'm convinced it means he would do, uh, he would go to the greatest lengths possible uh, to give them the opportunity to get out of there, to prevent them from going there, but he's not going to override them. Mm. Um, and so that's where I think universalism falls, is ultimately it's God overriding every other will in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some would challenge all of that if we were to start talking about election and blah, 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 but that's that's not the topic of this conversation. Um, but my point being what do we want the loving God to do? Mm. Do we want him to just override us and and just do away with it entirely? Um, It seems to me he's already done what we want in terms of making a way so that people don't have to experience hell. Um, And so, I mean, that's the one of the whole reasons Christ came is, uh, I mean, the famous Bible verse is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son. Uh, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, mm-hmm. but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Like God's love um, is the catalyst for him sending Christ to avert punishment mm-hmm. for people. Um, the second, and these are all kind of like connected, but not necessarily sequential, is that hell, it's very helpful for me to understand it as a self-chosen destination. And what I mean by that is that uh, hell is the the final handing over that God does of people to their choices and their sins. It's related to a question I, I kind of explored for myself several years ago about like the commands in the Old Testament that God gives people to like wipe out entire cities and villages and like everything. And it's not exactly the same, but this question of like God's justice and goodness was definitely there and a pattern that i saw there that i i am now convinced is throughout scripture including um hell is that god waits as long as possible in order to save as many as possible before he executes his judgment Mm -hmm. so a verse that I, i really love and speaks to this issue is ezekiel 33 11 where he says i this is god talking i take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live and so um the pattern that i saw in that old testament i also see like in the book of revelation which is the book about the end of the world in Mm -hmm. the bible it talks a lot about hell a lot of the imagery that people get come from this book and the same image or the same pattern of um, people refusing to believe and refusing to like repent comes up. And so it's like four or five times God will like lay out this judgment. It's sort of like a preview of what's to come. So it's not the worst thing, but it's like bad. It's like these horrible previews of the coming final judgment. Mm. And the phrase comes up again, it's like four or five times that the people refuse to repent of their sins. They refuse to repent, refuse to repent over and over. And the idea that you get is that it's not that God hasn't given these people chances. It's that they are repeatedly choosing not to take those chances. And so 
a helpful quote for me comes from C.S. Lewis, who, you know, in evangelical circles is kind of like a superhero, um, although it's funny because not all of his views are particularly evangelical. But this is uh, still a helpful quote because he's such a good thinker. Um, he says this. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded, and are therefore self-enslaved, just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. In the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start, smoothing every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them? They will not be forgiven. To leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. So that's the end of the quote. But that phrase at the beginning that the doors of hell are locked on the inside it has been very helpful for me. Another term I heard, I don't know who came up with it, is that hell is full of volunteers. Hmm. And that really helps balance out this idea, this caricature that we get that God is like playing duck, duck, goose. And if you're not goose, then too bad. You've been sent to hell and God doesn't actually love you. You're, you're pretty much just screwed. Mm-hmm. That hell is God giving you what you've chosen it's the handing you over to the choices and the final consequences of our sins uh c.s lewis has another quote i didn't write it down but he says in the end there's only two kinds of people those who say to god thy will be done and those to whom god says thy will be done so in that view are the people in hell enjoying it no in the same way that we don't enjoy the, I mean, our sins have consequences in the here and now, mm-hmm. and we don't enjoy those always. We might for a time, but the final end of them doesn't satisfy yeah. us. We're, we're always left empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and every picture you have of hell in the Old Testament is not enjoyable. Yeah. that's so, That was going to be my follow-up question if, like, people are in that view enjoying it it seems like it would be contradictory to like it actually being a really bad place of misery yeah it's a place of misery because we've been handed over and refused the path to blessedness Mm -hmm. so so that's a second idea i'm just going through several sort of answers or aspects to this one full answer to how is the view of hell consistent with the idea of loving god one is you know god's love displayed in christ second is this idea of hell as the final handing over of people the self-chosen destination and another i want to mention uh, comes in the form of a story from church history there was a guy named Anselm who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he was a medieval theologian. He's he's a big deal if you read church history. He's had heavy influence, at least on Western theology, for a long time. And he wrote a book uh, called, let me see if I can pronounce it, it's in Latin, uh, Curse Deo Homo, I think, uh, which translate, Why Did God Become a Man? And he's basically trying to give a reason for why Jesus came. And... I'm not going to go to the ins and outs, but it basically is so that there would be a both human and divine, because that's what we believe Jesus is, he's both man and God, a both human and divine solution to the sin problem. Mm -hmm. 
And just as in our day, there was in his day people who object to that idea um, and basically asking, why can't God just forgive? Why can't he just let it go? Why does there have to be, um, Anselm's terminology was satisfaction for yeah. sin. Why does there have to be a substitute? Why just, does there have to be a say, sacrifice? Take it easy. Here. Yeah. Like, dude, why? Mm-hmm. Why, is that a, why is it such a big deal? Uh, and his reply um, is, you have not yet felt the weight of sin. And um, I wanted, if it's all right, I, I was reading an article recently, and I thought it would be really helpful to quote a, a little bit at length an illustration here. Sure. Uh, and the article, let me grab it here. The article was on um, rape and seduction laws in the book of Deuteronomy. So super way more fascinating than it sounds depressing for sure but um but i think at the end it gives a very it's a bit of a heavy illustration this is a true story um but i thought it would be helpful here for us to understand just the weight of sin Mm -hmm. and why it demands some form of justice and not just an overlooking Mm -hmm. uh so this happened in India in 2005 was the documentary, um, but the um, conviction that it talks about doesn't happen until, I want to say, 2012. Anyway, um, it talks about a gang rape of 23-year-old Jyoti Singh, and I, I apologize if I'm getting the name wrong. Uh, the rape happened in December of 2012. And so it says here, Jody and her male friend were ambushed on a moving passenger bus on their way home from a movie. He, the friend, was beaten unconscious, and she was so violently assaulted that when her five assailants finally threw her from the bus, only 5% of her intestines remained inside her body. The bus driver, who had other passengers drive so that he could participate in the rape, was unimpressed by her injuries. He stated that the graduate student deserved her fate because, quote, a decent girl wouldn't roam around at 9 o'clock at night, and that girls are, quote, far more responsible for rape than a boy, and that the men on the bus had the right to teach that girl a lesson. And uh, there's a footnote here. They interviewed some of the rapists, and it says this. When when interviewed, one of the perpetrators reported his rape of a 5-year-old girl in addition to this incident. Rather than remorse, he was pleased to communicate the details. When questioned on his attitude, he responded, quote, she was a beggar girl. Her life had no value, end quote. Oh, my gosh. And just like, you just feel the heaviness of that. Yeah. And, and I understand that's not everybody. In fact, thank God that's not most people. Yeah. But you can't look at a story like that and then suggest, why can't we just overlook it? That, that's not how justice works. Because mm-hmm. then the question wouldn't be, what about God's love? The question would be, what about God's justice? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there has to be, for that kind of thing and everything else, there has to be justice at some level. Right. And biblically speaking, um, I'm convinced that there's only two places where justice can be done adequately for that kind of incident and the sin that's in, in my own heart and in all of us, and that's either on the cross or in hell. Those are the only two places that can handle the weight of sin. 
So um, the idea is that God's love isn't the, the all-consuming attribute of God, mm-hmm. that his justice demands something to be done for sin. Yeah. And, and we instinctively know that ourselves. We, we, when we read those kinds of stories, yeah. and, and that's one story. I mean, you watch the news. I mean, there's lots of things that we're like, man, something needs to happen here. We have an instinctive um, impulse that justice needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another idea that or that's helped me kind of wrestle with this idea of hell and the love of God. Um, is is that God does love everyone, which is why He provides avenues for real justice to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, the The fact that we're asking the question, "How is hell consistent with the uh, view of God's love?" is, and this is not a criticism of us; it's just a uh, an observation. That is itself a um, statement about our position in life. Mm-hmm. We, we are relatively privileged, at least you and I. I know you, you know me. We're, we're relatively privileged people in yeah. life when we look on the global scale. And so we can afford to ask the question, well, why would God do that? But if we were an oppressed community, um, man, I, I'm not going to get the, the quote right, um, but I'll summarize. A guy named Miroslav Volf who's a Croatian theologian, um, and he talks about an oppressed community, and I want to say it's somewhere in like Eastern Europe or something, um, that's been withheld food, and I mean, all kinds of horrible things have happened to this community. Um, And if you were to just tell them, hey, well, God's going to just let your oppressors go free, they get to get into heaven, and in fact, the Bible does teach if they believe in Jesus, they do get into heaven. Mm -hmm. The question isn't then, well, how is that loving? The question is, how is that just? Mm. Um, And so the question, the the fact that we're even asking the question, how is it loving, is a reflection on our position in life. Mm. So uh, those are a couple of things. I think I might have, um, yeah, yeah, one more. Um, I just want to close by affirming that God is loving to to anyone listening and just a reminder for myself that God does love each one of us mm-hmm. and John 3:16 is kind of the key verse here for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish God's love means that he sent his son as a propitiation that's the that's kind of the biblical theological word as a sacrifice for our sins so that if we believe we would not perish but have everlasting life hmm. so I, I think ultimately the answer to hell is, is jesus that concludes this episode thanks very much for listening if you enjoyed this episode please make your way to the next episode because that is the second half of our conversation regarding health.